Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Travis Funk, Director of Finance at Exact Imaging. Exact Imaging is the developer of the world's first high-frequency micro-ultrasound machine used in the detection and diagnosis of prostate cancer. Travis was a former senior associate at KPMG's enterprise practice before joining Exact Imaging. At Exact Imaging, Travis has helped raise over $30 million in capital and helped establish the company's international operations in Europe and the United States. A highly motivated leader, Travis is a chartered professional accountant and an entrepreneur in residence in Toronto's biomedical zone. Travis earned his Bachelor of Management and Organizational Studies at Western University and was awarded the gold medal within his program. So without further ado, let's hear from Travis Fung, Director of Finance at Exact Imaging. Hey, good morning, Travis. Uh, thanks for coming on The Backbone this morning and uh, wanted to get started right away. So you started your career at KPMG and before Exact Imaging, you were at Set Scouter. So talk to me about your journey to Exact Imaging and how you got into the finance role within tech. Hey, good morning, Shabam. Thanks for having me on your podcast here. It's, uh, it's an honor to be able to talk to you on this. Uh, sure, yeah. So before Exact Imaging, I was with uh, KPMG. So I was in their enterprise practice, which is basically the practice that handles all private businesses uh, across all industries. So if you weren't public, you'd be in the enterprise practice. And within the enterprise practice, I was in, I was doing audit. Um, and I was there for about four years before I left. And I left from KPMG right to exact imaging. And yeah, I think I was, I got this interest in startups pretty early on. Um, and that's the reason why I chose KPMG, the enterprise practice, because I wanted to work with the owner operators of their businesses to really learn and understand, you know, how these entrepreneurs think and how do you build a business. And um, I really want to be involved with the whole business as, a, as opposed to being just, you know, a small piece of a large company, right, in terms of audit. Uh, and so that's why I chose enterprise. And that was a really great experience because I got to see a lot of different types of business in different industries. But uh, what I found was that, you know, although I had a lot of breath, I had very little depth in any one business. And so I was, I was ready to leave to go into something and find something where I could help build a company from the early stages, from the beginning. So, so really be invested in one thing, get some depth, um, as opposed to a lot of breath that I currently had. But what I found really quickly was that one, startups 
early stage startups at least didn't re didn't require a full time hire. Uh, a lot of the resources were poured into R and D or into sales, and and so one there weren't, weren't a lot of jobs at the time for for a, for in an early stage startup for a finance professional. And second, you know, for those startups that were willing or were ready for uh, a full time finance hire, it was really hard to stick out because I didn't have any startup experience. And startups in the startup space really is a different animal, right? I mean, I think someone a finance person that has that startup experience is, is much more valuable than someone that doesn't because, yeah, it's just so different. And so I started. So I knew that I had to get some type of startup experience, and so I started seeking out startups in the space that I thought were interested, and in just cold emailing and cold calling them and, and asking if they um, needed any finance help. And so I came across a startup called SetScouter, which is basically the Airbnb for the film and production industry. They allow anybody that has a space or a nice home or, or anything that wanted to list on Airbnb, list on SetScouter for scouting agents to then you know book their space for uh, a commercial or, or, or a film. And so I thought that was a really cool concept, something that I could wrap my head around. And so I reached out to Seth Scouter, uh, to the two founders, Alex and, and Lydia, and we went out for a beer. And I basically said, "Hey, you know, this is what I can offer. Do you do you need um, any of this? Do you need do you need any finance help?" And I got them at the right time because they were just in the middle of an investment round where they were going to be entering due diligence where their potential or interested investors uh, wanted to look at the projections. And they said they could deliver a set of projections by the end of the week. Um, and I met with them, I believe, on on the Wednesday, and yeah, we basically they said, you know, this couldn't have come at a better time. So so I got to work right away. So you know, uh, started on Wednesday, started with the projections, and and you know, crushed it. Um, you know, two two days, pretty late nights. Uh, Thursday nights, I think I was up, you know, wait, past 3 a.m. Uh, working on this after finishing a full day, uh, my day job at KPMG, and and we got the projections in time for Friday deadline. And so that was, you know, the beginning there, and and from there I was helping them with their, uh, refining their 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 financial models, and also helping them with uh, developing metrics and how to track metrics and all that. And and that's really my introduction into the startup world, and I really really enjoyed it. And I knew, you know, that time that you know this is something for me, and I was looking for something that was full time. Um, how exact? So that was on the side to KPMG, and while I was working KPMG and Setscouter, I was looking for a full time. Uh, finance position at, a, at an early stage company, and I was out one night for a drink with my roommate at the time, and um, and we were there with with some of his friends and his friends' friends. So it was you know a big group of people, and not not everyone knew each other. So it was so we were just getting to know each other, and uh, I was speaking to someone there who worked at a recruiting agency, but wasn't actually recruiting for any of the companies that that they had. He or she was more on the business development side. And just through conversation, I wasn't trying to find a job through her or anything like that. But just through conversation, she learned that um, I wanted to get into the star space and I wanted to start downtown. Um, she found me. She found me later that week. Later that week uh, on LinkedIn, without me really even giving my full name, which is which is you know I still don't know how she really found me. She knew that I was Travis, but somehow found that you know I was Travis Fong and, and found the right one on LinkedIn. And so she messaged me and said, hey, you know what, I got a, uh, my colleague has an interesting opportunity that just came across his desk. It's a finance position for a startup called Exact Imaging. And, um, you know, this, these types of roles are quite rare to come across with desks of a recruiter because startups generally don't use recruiters, uh, at least, uh, yeah, they generally don't use recruiters really because they're so expensive. And so uh, she asked if I was interested and, and she knew that I was looking for something downtown, but this role and this opportunity was actually up in Markham. And so I told her that, uh, yeah, you know what, it's it's an opportunity, an opportunity is an opportunity, I'm willing to hear them out, and uh, you never know where these things will go. And so 
I, I believe, I, yeah, it was during the weekday that I got the call and she said, okay, great, we need to move quick on this because they're already in the middle of interviews and you'll need to, we could probably squeeze you in for your first round, you know, today, later today, this afternoon. And I said, okay, so I was at the client at the time and I was like, okay, well, you know, see if you can and if you can, then I'll figure something out, I'll make it work. And so, you know, she, she worked it, uh, she talked to her colleague, anyway, we, she, she, they were to fit me in around 4.30 that afternoon and so I left the client early, rented a car, went up for my first round and uh, that's how it started with exact and then um, that round was successful and then the second round went there it was about yeah to my to my surprise it was about six hours i met with everyone on the management team um you know worked our interview right through lunch um and it was quite an intense interview process and and i was impressed with how detailed uh and rigorous they were uh especially knowing how you know some of the startups can be an early stage, how it's a little bit chaotic and a little bit less organized. But uh, with Exact Imaging, what they really impressed me was the management team has done this before. You know, this isn't their first uh, business that they've built and sold. And so that's really one of the criteria that I was that I was looking for was to be able to learn behind an experienced management team because, you know, you're you're committing a lot of time and you're committing, uh, yeah, you're 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 putting a lot into this, and so you want to be able to make sure that you're learning as much as you can. And so, you know, that they fit that checkbox for me, and I really thought the uh, yeah, the industry and and the the product was was exactly like it, it's 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 literally life changing. And so, um, funny thing is, is that I originally didn't get the job. So it was between me and it was between me and uh, someone that was more experienced than I was. And uh, they had a troubles deciding. And so eventually, when they did make the decision, they decided to to go with the one that was a little bit more experienced. Uh, even though I had this little bit of experience with with Set Scouter, and so. You know that was okay. They gave me a call and they said, "Trav, sorry, you know, uh, it was a tough decision, but we we went we went with the other candidate um, that I learned had more experience." And so I said, "No problem, it's okay." They right move on. And so uh, yeah, back back to back to looking for a job working at Set Scouter while working at KPMG. And I got a call a month later from the recruiter, and he basically said, "Hey, Trav, um, so the guy that uh, that's exact went with, uh, he just left. He just quit, and he's going." To back to the bank. So he came from a bank and uh, and decided, I guess, to try out the star of space. And then he went back to the bank. So, you know, a bit odd because there, there couldn't be two different businesses. But regardless, the opportunity was mine. Uh, the recruiter said, he said, if you want it, it's yours. If you're still interested, um, which I was. So, you know, n- no no hard feelings. Uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I went back and joined uh, Exact Imaging. And that's where I've been for the last almost three years now. So a little bit of a of a detour to get there, but uh, got there nonetheless. Very very cool. Wow, that, that's a, that's a really really interesting story. Going from KPMG late nights working on models to at Set Scouter, and then that entire kind of six hour uh, interview process, uh, and then going joining back a month later. That's that's really quite the story. So now tell me about Exact Imaging itself. What uh, what is Exact Imaging all about? Yeah, Exact Imaging. So we're we're med tech, I guess. Yeah, we're a med tech startup. So we manufacture develop. Uh, an ultrasound system and what's different but between this ultrasound system and what's on the market is that this is a high frequency ultrasound machine what that means is uh basically just think of it as like hd television versus versus like standard even black and white television okay right? so the the higher the frequency the better image that you can get and so we've coined this because we're it's about a 300 percent. so we're about three times better than the regular you know we call it this, it is the standard of care the regular ultrasound machine and what that allows us to do when we get three times as better um resolution is it's is we get almost like microscopic imaging so we've coined the term in uh micro ultrasound 
So it's not ultrasound anymore. It's micro ultrasound. And uh, just a little bit of like a physics uh, background context here is that the higher the frequency, the lower the depth penetration. So you couldn't use high frequency ultrasound for, you know, looking at mom's baby in, in the abdominal, right? Like, um, yeah, like it's, it's, mm. it's uh, too big of an organ. So that's why it's perfect for prostate, which is the size of like a walnut. So you need a, you need a small organ in order gotcha. for this technology to work. And so, yeah, w- what we do is basically because we can create a better uh, resolution image for ultrasound, uh, we're using it specifically for diagnostic imaging for prostate cancer. Uh, right now, regular standard of care, which is the ultrasound, I'll call it regular ultrasound, they um, they can't they can't see the cancer really. It's it's very it's very fuzzy. And so what they do today is they do what they call a random uh, systematic biopsy. So a biopsy is when you take a sample of the tissue and then you and then you bring it into the lab right. and you examine that tissue under uh, in, under a microscope, which is you know they call that pathology, and they see whether we, they caught cancer or not. So what they do today is they do a random systematic biopsy, which means they basically split your prostate into a grid. It's like battleship and they, and they put a needle, it's a systematic way of doing it. And they put 12 needles into your prostate to, to get that tissue sample. But the problem with that is since it's random, uh, they miss cancer a lot of the time because they can't see it. And so what happens is right now there's a 40% false negative rate. So, you know, a man would go into uh, get a biopsy 40% of the time. He'll be told that he doesn't have prostate cancer when he does. And that's oh, obviously wow. a, yeah, hmm. a super high rate, right? And yeah. and what happens too, you know, it's not only just that rate. What happens too is before you actually go get referred to a urologist who actually does the the biopsy, uh, you go to your GP first, who does who get, who, t- who takes a blood test. Uh, they call it they call it a PSA test. It's a it's a protein in your blood that might be indicative of whether you have uh, if you you might have prostate cancer. It's an indicator. And then they do what I call a digital rectal exam, right? That's probably what a lot of people think of when they think of like a prostate examination or during your physical where you mm-hmm. literally, it's a, it's a rectal exam. And they say, right. okay, yeah, these, these indicators show that you might have prostate, like you're sus- it's suspicious. So that's why we're referring you to the urologist to get an actual biopsy done to see whether you do or not. And then when that comes back negative, you know, then they say, okay, but you know, the indicators are very strong that you might, we probably just missed it. So come back in like whatever, six months to a year and we'll redo this, this procedure, this biopsy procedure. And so what happens is, is obviously, you know, it's also very time consuming, I guess, time consuming and it sucks for the man because like it's painful. And then, and then you're also scaring, scaring the guy too, right? Because a lot of time too, prostate cancer is a slow growing cancer. So a lot of time you actually die of old age before, uh, before the prostate cancer will actually kill you. That's not uncommon, right? Because it's slow growing. Um, but, but when you do this, you when we continually get these, these biopsies, they, you know, you're starting to expose yourself to the risk of infection. And now the risk of infection is almost, you know, sometimes can be more of a risk than the actual prostate cancer. So the whole process mm. is not very, is not very good. So what we, what, what we designed in our high frequency ultrasound machine is that we're, we're solving this problem because we can actually uh, have way better resolution. We're, 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 we're now going towards something called targeted biopsy instead of systematic random biopsy. A random systematic biopsy because now that we can actually have the resolution in the microscopic ultrasound resolution to actually see where the cancer is, uh, we can just target that. So instead of putting 12 needles randomly, we can concentrate the needles to an area that looks suspicious and and would therefore reduce that false negative rate. Gotcha. So that's you know high level. That, that's yeah. That's that's what we 
that's what uh, exact imaging is all about. That's awesome. That's a, a real problem that uh, is being solved. That's the explanation, and there's a lot of kind of technicalities there, which uh, you did a very good job of distilling down to something that even I can understand. So that was helpful. You know, exact imaging is uh, in the med tech space, like you mentioned, but uh, it's not a software business. Like there are actual machines, and there, so it's a hardware. So you have to manage, you know, inventory, and you have to like consider like the, a lot of things that a software company doesn't. And so what are some things specifically when uh, looking at it from a finance lens uh, that you have to be wary about um, mm -hmm. because it is a hardware business versus a software business? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we do have both. You're 100% right. We are hardware. Uh, we do have a software component as well. So it's basically the, the hardware and then, and then the software goes on to the hardware. Gotcha. But, but yeah, generally, though, I mean, the, it, it's I would say it's predominantly a hardware hardware company. And, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of nuances with that, a lot of different challenges with hardware. And I think the main one would be, you know, you're now dealing with inventory. And when you have inventory, I think if there's a lot of things that flow down from that, that that uh, requires a lot of attention and consideration. So I think I'll, you can break it up into two, two areas. I think I think logistically and operationally, uh, you now have to manage a supply chain. We have a contract manufacturer as well. And so now you're managing ultimately in charge of um, all the raw materials that go and build up to build a system. So, so you're in charge of, you're in charge of that. Your contract manufacturer, basically, you tell them which, where you're sourcing these, these parts from or what kind of parts you need. And the contract manufacturer basically puts it together. We give them the blueprint. Uh, but really you're managing the supply chain and you're managing the, the manufacturers, uh, to make sure that A, they can, they can deliver what you need them to deliver, uh, on time and, and a quality product. Uh, for us, it's maybe even a little step further because we're in the medical device space. Uh, it's heavily, reg uh, you know, there's a lot of regulatory involved with it. Of course. So we got to make sure that those suppliers are, they're, they're operating to the proper standards. And so that's just more of the logistical, the logistical point of it. I think, uh, another thing too is that, you know, in a software business, I think you're, it's very easy to, and very quick to build, you know, like an MVP, like an inviolable product and then test it. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can build something quick, put it out there and then get some feedback pretty quickly with hardware. It's, it's not only, uh, you can't do that as quick, but also it's very expensive because if we were to come up with a new product or a new, you know, probe for a new transducer or anything like that, uh, you got to come up with a prototype. And even just by doing that it takes more time than writing software and, and it costs right. more money as well. So, so mistakes are a little bit more expensive. Yeah. And even the iteration aspect, like you're dealing with lives here and, you know, uh, testing and clinical trials and things like that. So you can't just iterate like software. It's not like a bug. And then exactly. you just patch the bug. Yeah. yeah. And that's why sticking to budget is so I think is a lot tougher with a hardware company because, you know, you think you have something right. And then once you, br you put it out there, you realize actually, no, you didn't. Uh, and now you're, you're going to be going over budget on something. Right. So, uh, whereas the software, you can kind of get that feedback loop and tighten that up a little bit quicker. Obviously, there's still things to fix when when you launch something that's software based. But uh, with the hardware, you you got to come back and then if it's depending on how big the issue is, uh, you might need a whole new tool, right, or a whole new mold, and and that's you know hundreds of thousands of dollars easy. Depending on what hmm. space you're in, for us, it's you know that's easy, it's right? Easy expense, yeah. So, so I want to dig into that piece a little bit. So, um, you, you mentioned the, you know, medical trials and R and D and obviously there's a, and things can go over budget. And so being the finance leader, how do you kind of take all that in and, uh, you know, manage cash flow, uh, for a company like that? Uh, what I just explained is more like the operational logistical piece. And then there's that financial piece, which is, I think, you know, cash flow management, exactly like you said. I mean, we have to, and generally this comes in the fund, 
you know, we, we definitely have to out when we, when we fundraise, we fundraise a lot, a little bit more than what we, what we technically need. Right. Because mm-hmm. we know things are going to go for, especially in the med device space, things is a saying that says like, you know, things are always going to take longer and it's going to be more expensive. And so you can right. imagine you, you do have, you know, kind of like how investors have follow on money for their investments. We also have follow on money for our projects. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's, Very taken account. yeah. So we have, we've taken into account that um, at least there's a buffer there, but also it's just, it's just strict cash, cash flow management. Right. I mean, um, because we, we get new information every day. And so we're, I'm constantly doing a revised forecast, cash flow forecast. I do it monthly. So basically, uh, and we'll get into more of the nuances there, but with the cash flow management, right, we, because we have, uh, we're dealing with suppliers, uh, inventory levels, you know, we have to give them production builds. Also with, with our customers, there's terms on, on the sales. And because we're early stages here, you know, every deal, every sale that we make are different. So although we model a certain percent of deposits that we need and we model whatever net 30, terms on the remaining balance mm-hmm. it's not always like that and so you know every 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 month i have to upload i have to reforecast and see where we are and make sure that i have a target cash flow balance at the end of each quarter um and making sure that i'm within a band there within a five to ten percent it can't be below five or ten percent otherwise we gotta right. do some make some changes but yeah that, that's generally what it is it's just, it's just very close monitoring of the projects uh, and, 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 uh, working closely with the R and D team to say, okay, here, where are we potentially exposed? And, 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 in these areas where we could be exposed, um, what's, you know, what will we have to do to fix it? And how much does that cost? And so it's just another level of budgeting and, and being more into the details of the, the projects so that we could allocate certain, you know, follow on money, if you will, uh, to projects, uh, properly. And obviously if we're, if we're completely off, uh, then, then we're going to start taking money from, from other departments, but, you know, that's generally mm-hmm. how it, how it goes. That's, uh, you know, a fascinating cycle and, um, you've got to stay very close to, to everything just to make sure, um, you know, have backup plans and backup plans to backup plans, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to, to make sure uh, everything's coming along. So, uh, in that same vein, but switching gears a little bit, um, I want to talk about pricing. So, you know, medicine is, about the greater good of people and society and exact imaging's products uh, sound like they're sold through to hospitals and, you know, which at least in Canada are not profit centers. And so how does this affect your pricing and uh, how does it uh, affect the way you think about pricing your products? Because how do you strike a balance between profitability and implementing new technologies that enhance patient care and service? So it's like that fine sure. balance, I guess, which I'd love to get your thoughts on. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it's, you're, you're exactly right. There is a fine balance there. Um, yes, in, in Canada, they're not profit centers because generally we'd be selling to, to hospitals, but in, in Europe and in the States, it's a little bit different there. Whereas there's, there's more, uh, private institutions and clinics, uh, especially in the States. And so mm-hmm. they run their practices like a business. And so what we have to prove to them is that when they invest in an exact view system, which is our ultrasound system, uh, we got to show them the return on their investment, not unlike any capital investment a company makes, right? So how the, how the institutions make money, like how the, how the clinics make money is uh, they, they make money off of surgeries, off of performing procedures. And so Right. You know, right now, like I mentioned, there was a 40% false negative rate for, for a man that comes in, uh, with the, with the current standard of care. That's basically 40% of lost or missed revenue for them. And so mm. what we have to prove is that we can detect more cancer and quicker so that they can then go and, uh, die note and th- then they go and value and, and provide a treatment plan. And that's where they make their money. 
And so for them, it's all about throughput, right? Like ideally what, what, what these institute, what these clinics want to do is, is have, um, people have, have men come into their clinics and very quickly diagnose whether they have prostate cancer or not. And, and basically just whiff through them and not have someone come back in six to 10 months with another scan to see whether, whether they have something or not. They want to do it quick and then find cancer quick and then operate on it quick. And therefore more operations, more, more revenue, uh, more. Uh, higher profitability for the for the institution. So our challenge is there is a limit to how much we can price our products. It's not a consumer good, so it's not you know in, in the consumer field people purchase things because they want it and and you know they mm-hmm. can always justify it. Uh, in our space, there is a limit because every procedure there's a reimbursement code for the doctor. So they say okay, like a a prostate scan is whatever a couple hundred bucks per per scan, and then if they wanted to do a biopsy, it's three to five hundred dollars a biopsy, uh, and so there's a limit to how much they can make off of a procedure, and so there's this a point there is a point where you can't actually charge like it doesn't make sense for them to purchase your equipment because they just they can never get enough back from the reimbursements to to justify the purchase. There's a lot of room for them to make money with with uh, there's a lot more cancer for them to detect. Um, right. Yeah, in terms of in terms of you know price point, we do have to look at our competitors and see you know what's out there on the market and what how effective are they in detecting prostate cancer, and then we compare our solution, the ultrasound our micro ultrasound solution, to our competitors and say, okay, well, how much more effective are we? Uh, that delta between um, between us and our competitors will determine how much more we can charge because it's all again b- back on that return for that investment, and so we are much more than conventional ultrasound because we can do a much better job than conventional ultrasound. And so what we're really up against right now, uh, there's no other company in the market that does what we do in terms of micro ultrasound. Uh, so what we are competing against is not necessarily another uh, direct competitor, but it's 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 on a different way of diagnosing prostate cancer. So everyone has, under, has understood that you know conventional ultrasound is not good enough. And so there, there's a shift or this movement towards uh, something called MRI ultrasound fusion, which is basically exactly what it sounds. So they're getting too technical. Is you're combining an MRI image with an ultrasound image, right? An ultrasound is a real-time image because you're you're scanning the prostate and you're getting a real-time image, whereas an MRI is a snapshot. And so what's happening right now is this is the solution poor resolution of conventional ultrasound is that, you know, uh, the urologist will refer the man to a radiologist to get an MRI. So they get the static image, and then the urologist will need to purchase another fusion system, which is basically another computer that they connect to their ultrasound machine, and they feed that static MRI image um, into the ultrasound machine. So now you have two images. You have a real-time image scan of of the prostate, and you have this static image of the prostate through the MRI. Um... And the MRI gives you a better image, so you basically can see a little bit more in an MRI, and you put that MRI image on top of real-time prostate ultrasound image, and you use the ultrasound to guide your biopsy to the suspicious lesions that you have, that you have identified on the MRI. Um, it's getting a little bit technical, or it's a little bit, maybe it's a little bit hard to understand, but basically it's not a perfect solution because the urologist loses uh, control of their patient to a radiologist, and, and that whole sequence just takes a long time. And so what we said is, like, you just need better ultrasound, which is what we're providing. Uh, and so that's really what we're, we're, we're up against is making, it was comparing ourselves to the MRI, MRI ultrasound fusion. And in that solution, you not only have to purchase an ultrasound machine, but there's also the purchase of the, of the computer, which is the... What, was what fuses that MRI and that ultrasound image together. And so anyway, you know, back, back to your question, to answer that specifically, you got to look at your different competitors, which is for us, it's MRI ultrasound fusion, uh, look at the publications and see, you know, how effective that is and how effective we are. And if we're on point, 
let's say we do exactly the same as MRI ultrasound fusion, then we know we can at least have uh, the same be at the same price point because you know it's a lot. It's it's much better for the uro- urologist because they can control the patient. It's much better for the healthcare system because it's less expensive. You don't need to send your uh, patient to get an MRI. Um, it's much better for the for the for the patient because they don't need to go get an MRI and then come back to the urologist. They can just do it all in one setting with just ultra better ultrasound. And so that's you know how how we think about pricing. And as we com- as we continue to put more products or new products onto the market, we look at you know how does that help with detection of prostate cancer and and therefore you know how how does that uh, generate a return for for the urologist? That's really really fascinating. So you know you, you you obviously there isn't something like this in the market, and so you can't just go to your straight up competition and see how they price and get feedback off of that. But you have to kind of f- see what the alternative is and kind of price it out that way. That's really interesting. So last question here before we jump into our quick fire round is: In your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at a technology company? Yeah, I think at the at a technology company, I think first and foremost is I think it's cash management. I mean, if without cash, you're 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 no longer a business, and so you're. I mean, it's it's more of the mentality behind it, uh, and you're always just trying to fight another day. You, you know, and the finance function is not. It, it's not you're not generating any revenue or any profit, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, you're there as support, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to give as much time to the areas of the business where they are generating value. Like for example, sales or R and D, right? So, you, uh, for me, how I think about it is, you're just trying to trying to fight to live another day, and so you're 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 allocating resources and capital to allow that to happen. I think of it as almost like a race against time. So every day, you're, you're hopefully you're building, uh, you're building value in the company, or whether that means your your product uh, advances further, or if that means you know you're you're striking better, uh, more lucrative partnerships, or building relationships in the market uh, with for us, you know. Different doctors, uh, urologists, things. That's an interesting mindset uh, to think about it as, you know, how, what can we do to live another day? I, you know, it's a very, I guess, disciplined approach. I like it a lot. Uh, cool. Well, what we'll do now is we'll jump into our quick fire round. And so the way this works is I'll ask you a question and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. All right. So the first one is what's your go to online resource for all things startup finance related? Yeah, so there's no real specific online resource that I go to um, consistently or constantly. Uh, I would say for startup news, I use a newsletter called Launch Ticker, uh, ran by Jason Calacanis, uh, who is the host of uh, This Week in Startups. It gives you really nice bite-sized um, news tidbits of what's going on in the startup world, and there's a link there to the full article if you wanted to uh, re- read about it a little bit more, but it's a nice, nice summary. Okay, cool. Um, and what's your favorite uh, productivity hack? Yeah, for a productivity hack, uh, I'm not sure if you want to call this a hack or not, but uh, early mornings for me is where I get things done. Uh, I get into the office before everyone else gets in there. I do my um, my uh, my meditation and journaling, and then I then I get to um, get to my emails from the previous day, clear that out, and then make a list of the top three things I need to get done for the day. Uh, that I need to focus on and then it's off to the races for the day and once people start coming in then the day kind of goes a little bit sideways so the morning uh, where the phones don't ring and the emails aren't flowing and uh, you know people aren't aren't uh, coming to your office that's that's my time to be productive it's a very interesting policy and lastly um, you know on the topic of to-do lists and whatnot what's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing yeah so I don't leave I don't I don't leave the office without finishing the task that I'm on. So nothing is left unfinished before before I go. It doesn't necessarily mean I have to finish off whatever the top three things that were on my list for the day, but whatever I'm working on, 
needs to be done before I can leave. Yeah, makes sense. Well, thanks a lot, Travis. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, this has been an amazing uh, discussion, and I've learned a lot personally about uh, you know the med tech space as a whole, kind of thinking through some of the challenges and opportunities, and essentially the uniqueness of a, a hardware company and you know all that comes with it. Being in the med tech space, thinking about pricing, thinking about um, how to price your products, uh, it's really been a fascinating discussion and i've uh, really enjoyed it so thank you so much travis no thank you shaman it's been fun